Mountain State Mysteries contains adult content that may not be suitable for all audiences. Listener discretion is advised. I'm your host, Mark. And I'm Courtney. And this is Mountain State Mysteries. believe it, Courtney, today makes one year since we released the first episode of Mountain State Mysteries. I really can't. I mean, it just seems like yesterday that we came up with this idea and here it is a year later. We honestly wouldn't be here if it wasn't for you, our listeners. We honestly thought that this would just be a little local podcast that people in town would listen to. However, it's a podcast that has been listened to around the world. I think it's safe to say that we both have a strong connection to all of our cases, and we both wish that they could finally get solved. That's the truth. It's also safe to say that we both have a favorite case, and it turns out it's the same case, and that's the case of Nellie Mae Rand and Elmer Ray Bailey. So today, we decided to revisit the case and tell you even more about it. Earlier this year, we had the opportunity to meet Agnes Keatley, a local author who was only 10 years of age at the time of the murder of Nellie and Ray. She told us about a book she wrote called Cover Up, and it was based on these murders. Agnes told us that one of her friends actually gave her the case files on this case and wrote who he thought did it on the back. She told us that she kept them and she always wanted to write a book because this case has stayed in the back of her mind. She finally decided to and let us tell you, she did a wonderful job. At her book signing, she asked us who we thought did it. And it turns out we have the same theory as her, which makes us believe that we are on the right track when it comes to this case. So Courtney, are you ready to revisit our first case on the 76th year anniversary? I sure am. Nellie Mae Combs dropped out of Big Creek High School in Colwood, West Virginia in the 10th grade and went on to work as a waitress in Welch, a town also located in McDowell County just 10 miles away. Nellie was always insecure and lacking the confidence you think a woman with her beauty would have. Nellie was a very vulnerable girl. She looked for support and intimacy as well as fun and excitement, and this would often lead to dangerous company. Nellie was barely 16 when she ran off and married the son of a prominent McDowell County Coal Company official. Nell's sister Helen could only remember stories of the impromptu wedding She could not remember if the marriage was annulled or even if there was a divorce. When news broke about the wedding, the young man's family sent him off and he was never seen in McDowell County again. Some events in Nellie's life explain her susceptibility and weakness. By the age of 20, the young, attractive lady had already earned herself a reputation that young men found appealing. That period of life faded with time. 
Five years after her first marriage, 21-year-old Nellie married 35-year-old Dr. Kenneth K. Rand. Dr. Kenneth K. Rand was born on December 18, 1903, the son of Austin Clark Rand and Lula David Rand of Cottageville, Jackson County, West Virginia. Dr. Rand graduated from Ravenswood High School, The Ohio College of Dental Surgery, and the University of Louisville Dental College. In 1927, he opened the Kenneth K. Rand DDS Dental Practices, with office in Colwood and Coretta, both in McDowell County. During this period of Dr. Rand's life, he married Nellie Mae Combs. In 1932, Dr. Rand moved his dental practice to Beckley, located in Raleigh County, West Virginia. Dr. Rand was also involved in the American Red Cross, where he conducted first aid classes. He was an ordained deacon at the Beckley's First Baptist Church an active member of the Gideon Bible Program, and a member of the Barca Sunday School classes. Dr. Ram was one of the founders of the Flat Top Lake Association. He was a member of the Beckley Elks Club, Moose Lodge, Lions Club, the Black Knight Country Club, and many dental societies. Nell often appeared in society columns of the Beckley newspapers, often in connection to the First Baptist Church, located on Neville Street in Uptown Beckley, where her and her husband were active members. The two's family grew in the 1930s with the birth of their daughters, Kira and Carolyn. Kira May Rand was born in September of 1934. Kira May Rand was born in September of 1934. At the time of Nellie's murder, she was only 13 years of age. Carolyn Rand was born in January of 1936, and at the time of Nellie's murder, she was only 11 years of age. After living for a period of time on South Canal Street, the Rands moved into a home on Harper Road, which is still there, and we aren't going to get out the address due to the homeowner's privacy, but we will say it's one of everyone's favorite homes on Harper Road. The three-bedroom, two-story brick home has 2,216 square feet and was situated on 3.4 acres of land. During our research one year ago, we actually found out that their home was a Sears home. They ordered it from a catalog and they added their own touches to it, then built it from the ground up. Elmer Ray Bailey was born in 1898. He was an Army veteran of World War I and was discharged in August of 1919. Ray was the manager of the furniture department of the Beckley Hardware and Supply Company, a prosperous and growing hardware store located on South Heber Street in Uptown Beckley. Irene M. Martin was born at Union, Monroe County. West Virginia in April of 1900. On September 17, 1921, 21-year-old Irene Martin married 23-year-old Ray Bailey. The couple purchased a home at 106 Johnstown Road, which is now an empty lot due to a fire. Irene, like Nellie, appeared in the Beckley newspapers due to her presence at luncheons, dinners, youth functions that included her daughters, 
the Women's Club and First Christian Church activities. The Baileys had two daughters, Daisy Dean, who was born in 1928, and Diane Vivian, who was born in 1931. On Tuesday, November 4th, 1947, Nellie Rang kept her 1 p.m. weekly hair appointment where she had her hair styled in the popular style of the time. Ironically, later that afternoon of the same day, Irene Bailey was in the same salon getting her hair styled by Charles. Have you ever done Mrs. Rand's hair, Charles? Irene asked. Miss Rand has never been my patron. Well, if I were you, I would not do it. She might try to court you if you do. Irene advised him, somewhat joking. Nellie dodged between raindrops as she left the beauty salon and ran into the White Cross Pharmacy and gift shop on the corner of Main and North Canal Street. Nellie was there getting a gift for a bridal shower for her friend, Irma Lowe. She purchased two pieces of china in the style that Irma selected. The shower was to take place at 8 p.m. at 108 Ann Street, which for some reason we never found the address until Agnes released her book. Turns out, we were really close to where we thought it was. We were on the right street, just the wrong house. After leaving the gift shop, Nell walked the half block to her husband's dental office at 104 Main Street, just over top, the G.C. Murphy Company. It was 3.30 when Nell stood in the door talking to her husband, Dr. Rand. He had a patient in his dental chair, and although he did not stop working, he carried on a conversation with Nellie. Would it be alright for me to use the car this evening? Nell asked. I don't know anyone else that is going to the shower that I can ride with. That's fine. I'm going to the Lions Club and we'll probably go to a movie afterwards. It wasn't unusual for Dr. Rand to attend a movie on Tuesday evening. Going to a movie after his, Lion Club's, after his Lions Club meeting was what he typically did on Tuesday nights. Well, I should be home by 11, or at least ready to go home by then. Just call me at Martha's, or at the house, and I'll pick you up. Dr. Rand called home around 6 p.m. and talked to Nellie. One of the things they discussed was a fur coat that he was purchasing for his wife from a Charleston department store. He told her that while going through papers on his desk, he discovered that the girl failed to send him the slip for the fur coat. She sent a check, but not the slip, so they won't have all of the information. You may not get your new coat for a few days. This was more than likely the last thing Dr. Rand ever talked to Nellie about. Irene Bailey walked from the beauty salon to South Heber Street where her husband, Elmer Ray Bailey, was the manager and buyer of the furniture department for the Beckley Hardware Company. Sadly, the building is no longer there. It's now a law office. Ray was so excited about a new radio he was purchasing for the family, and when Irene came into the store, they talked about it. Oh, by the way, I have already gotten Dee Dee's Christmas present. Oh, really? What did you get? I got her a mix master. When Irene was leaving the store, Ray yelled at her. If you want to wait a few minutes, I'll drive you home. It looks like rain, 
and I know how easily you catch a cold. All right. I don't want to take you away from your work. It's fine. I plan to come back to the store this evening and work for a little while unless there is something that you want to do. No, we've really... (laughs) No, we've been out every night this week. I really just want to stay in this evening. Ray drove Irene home around 3.45 or 4 p.m. She got out of the car and went into the house. Ray did not go in. Nellie returned home earlier that day to have dinner with her sister and daughters. They chatted cheerfully about the bridal shower, then Nellie started to get ready. Around 6 p.m., Nellie was getting ready. Nellie was looking into the mirror of her dresser in deep thought. She did not see her sister come into the room. She fastened a rhinestone necklace around her throat to go with her blue silk dress. My, my, aren't we fancy? Awfully dressed up for a bridal shower, aren't you, sweetie? Don't start with me, Helen. I have enough on my mind. Nellie, you just won't learn. You know, you promised Doc, and you also know that you were just playing with fire. Doc's been awfully good to you, Nell. Get off my back, Helen. We've been over this time and time again. You just don't understand, and besides, I'm trying to. I'm going to take care of it. I really am, but it's... It's just hard. You don't know how hard it is. You don't know how I feel. And yes, he's been good. He's been damn good to you too. So with this, we found out that Nellie's sister knew the entire time what she was up to that night. After Ray drove Irene home, she did the routine things around the house. Beckley Hardware usually closed at 5 and Ray would make it home around 5.30. However, this evening, he made it around 5.10 or 5.15. Dinner was normal. Irene's mother joined them, and the conversation was mainly about the radio Ray planned on buying for the family. After dinner, Ray showered and shaved, something that my husband did every evening, whether we're going out or staying home. Ray showered and cleaned up every evening. Irene said Ray walked back into the kitchen in his trousers and just a t-shirt. That was something very out of character for him. He just seemed so excited about the new radio and came into where Mother and I were talking. Do you think we'll have it before the Parkersburgs game, Ray? Irene said Ray was ready to leave the house when she went into the bedroom where he was getting his cigarettes. He had his coat on, ready to leave. It was 7 p.m. Irene, are you sure there isn't anything that you want to do this evening? No. Mother is leaving tomorrow, and Dee Dee and Pete are coming over to see her this evening. I'd like for you to take them home around 10, 10.30. Looking at his watch, Ray told her he was going to work for a short while and that he should be home around 8.30 p.m. Ray planned on buying the radio that night. He had $400 in his pocket for that purpose. Ray stopped at the service station at the corner of Johnstown Road and Canal Street and got gas. Attendant James Flashman pumped his gas and Ray paid with a $10 bill, for which Flashman counted back his change. 
gas in 1947 was $0.23 per gallon, so a $10 bill would be around $133 today. What a dream that would be. Dr. Rand left his office around 6.20 p.m., mailed letters at the little box in front of the bank, and proceeded to El Chico case on North Fayette Street, which I've heard was an amazing place to eat. Dr. Rand went to the Lions Club meeting around 6.30. Following the meeting, Dr. Rand went straight to his office again. He said, I didn't stop to talk to anyone that evening, as I usually do. I did not check the time, but I'd say it was around 8.30 p.m. He said he worked on some letters and mailed them in front of the Beckley Hardware Store. Then he walked over to the Lyric Theater, which is now a parking lot for Fruits of Labor in Uptown Beckley. He purchased a, he purchased a ticket from a girl that he did not know. He said Mr. Burke was taking up tickets. I gave him my ticket and he gave me the stub that they normally tear off. After the movie, Dr. Rand crossed over to the bus stop at Watkins Drugstore waiting for a bus. His friend, Teresa Torine, who was the owner of Quality Pastry Shop. Dr. Rand said Miss Torine drove me up Harper Road, and when we got to where she turns off to go home, I told her she didn't have to take me the entire way, that I would just walk the rest of the way, but she insisted. She drove me to my house where she turned around and drove off, and I went into the house. Dr. Rand said the garage light was on, and he assumed that Nellie made it home and just forgot to pick him up. When he walked in, he found out that Nellie wasn't home, and around 12.15 that morning, he began to become worried, and he called the home of Martha Dickinson's, where the viral shower took place, but she said that Nellie did not come to the party. After the call, he woke up Helen and asked if she knew anything about Nellie, and she said she only knew that Nellie was going to the party that evening. The 1946 Blue Chrysler Commodore traveled down Route 1921 near the eastern edge of the city, turned off the main highway into the Black Knight Country Club property, then turned onto a rough abandoned road that went 100 feet, just enough to be hidden and stopped. Anyone who saw the driver would think she was lost. A few moments later, a second car pulled into the dark, out of the way of other cars parked behind the other. The driver of the second car was a slender, middle-aged man in a Buick. Then he turned off the headlights, turned off the car, and the darkness that promised to hide everything, especially the secrets that were going to happen in the car. From the description from the West Virginia Police File 29-1327-Page 3 On Red Dog Road in a wooden section behind the Black Knight Country Club at a distance of about 100 yards from the club in the particular wooden section it is honeycombed with roads indicating that it is apparently at one time was laid out into a subdivision upon entering the grounds of the Black Knight Country Club from Route 19-21, Business Route, and proceeding to Route 3. Take the first Red Dog Road to the left and turn to the scene of the crime. 
This is on the edge of the Beckley City Limits, Town District, Raleigh County, West Virginia. Wednesday morning, after breakfast, Dr. Rang called around to see if anyone knew where Nellie was. No one knew. He ended up calling the Beckley Hardware Store and asked to talk to Ray Bailey. They said he didn't come in that morning, so he assumed that him and Nellie finally ran away together the night before. Around 11.45 a.m., E.E. Bibb reported the license plate numbers, models, and colors of missing vehicles of both Nellie and Ray. The West Virginia State Police First Sergeant W.E. Dimonson, who was on desk duty at the time, within minutes of Mr. Bibb's report, a car was found by Trooper Tapscott. On November 5, 1947, about 9 a.m., the undersigned Trooper Tapscott, while on patrol to Coolridge to serve a warrant, noticed a car parked over on the north edge of old RMI Ballfield, which is now where Two Brothers Collision is today. Not being unusual to see cars parked at the section of the ballpark, I proceeded to Coolridge, completing my business there, and upon returning to Beckley about 11 a.m., I noticed a car still parked there. I drove into the ballpark and over to the scene where the car was abandoned. Upon examination of the car, a large pool of blood was noticed on the floor of the back seat and also what appeared to be three bullet holes in the back of the rear seat. A lady's coat and a man's top coat were lying on the rear seat and on the shelf behind the rear seat was a lady's purse and a man's top hat were noted. The keys were still in the ignition and the switch was on. The window of the right rear door was down. From this examination, I knew that a crime of some kind had been committed in this automobile. The car was a 1941 model dark green Buick sedan bearing WV license plate number 33-092. The keys were taken from the switch of the car. The windows rolled up and the car doors locked. A handkerchief was used in rolling up the windows and shutting the car doors. Further investigations were made and armed with this information returned to the state police headquarters in Beckley, West Virginia, arriving at 11.45 a.m. While the officers were discussing the findings of the car, O.G. Goodson and his son Raymond came into the headquarters and reported finding two bodies of an embankment on Penman Road just beyond the Penman Powerhouse. Corporal H.C. Fulmer and Trooper Tapscott immediately accompanied the Goodsons to the scene where the bodies were found. According to police records, the site where the bodies were found was approximately nine miles from the Black Knight Country Club. The gate of the federal prison is seven and one half miles away from the Black Knight Country Club. Upon arrival at the scene, close observation was made to preserve and protect any remaining marks of evidence that could be found. The top of the bank was searched for any footprints or other evidence. But due to the fact it rained after the bodies were taken to the scene, no footprints could be seen. 
At the top of the bank, Nellie's shoes were found a distance of about six feet apart, and between the shoes were a pair of panties. A package of matches with the tops burned off and bearing the advertisement of the Sycamore Inn, a bear joint on US 19-21, were found in the ditch. Twelve feet down the embankment, face down, with his pants down around his knees, laid the body of Elmer Ray Bailey. Nellie Rand lay face down with her head resting on the lower portion of Bailey's legs, her dress up around her waist and her feet extending up to the bank. A further search of the scene showed that the car that brought the bodies to the scene turned around about 30 feet and returned the same way it entered. The bodies were picked up by County Coroner Douglas Bryant and an employee at the Rhodes Funeral Home, placed in an ambulance and brought to the Rhodes Funeral Home in Morgue in Beckley. Dr. Rand went to the funeral home and identified Nellie with her dental plate. He said a bridge was there that he put in not too long ago. Around 4 p.m., a call was received from Beckley patrolman Bill Tubert stating that the car of Nellie Rand had been located on Red Dog Road behind Black Knight Country Club. A distance of 20 feet behind the car was a large spot of blood measuring out to 12 inches in diameter and a woman's watch was found in the ground next to the blood spot with the time of 8.15 frozen on it. On the right rear door of Bailey's car, several latent fingerprints were found and lifted by Sergeant Shan Holzer and Corporal Newman, which were later proved to be that of the victim, Nellie Mae Rand. No additional evidence could be found. While the two were in the back seat of Ray's car, they never saw the 38 caliber pistol thrust open through the open window on the rear right side of the car. However, they would hear, if only for a terrifying instant, the deadly shots ring out once, twice, three times, shattering the silence of the night. So that's really all we want to tell you of the story because you can listen to more in episode one of Mountain State Mysteries or you can purchase Agnes's book and read everything on this from suspects to Trooper Tabscott's son. Like she has it all. Courtney can like say for me, I have read this book. 12 different times, I think. Like, it has been my holy grail. For I couldn't tell you since the day I got it. Like, we were... Agnes had her signing at, what was it, Calasinos? Mm-hmm. Me and Courtney, we were waiting on a pizza. And we were literally skimming it, looking through it, looking through everything. She has pages upon pages upon pages of interviews, everything. So... If you want to look at that, definitely get her book. So, Courtney, what's your thoughts on this case? Not a whole lot has really changed my opinion about this case. Um, you know, as much as we have researched this as many times as we have 
looked over the books, re-looking at any information that has come out about this case as many times as we have drove the route um, to where the bodies were um, dropped off at. Um, in all honesty, nothing of this case still makes any type of sense whatsoever. None of it. Um, a lot of it, it still makes me angry. Um, there's definitely a major cover-up, especially when it came to Ray's car. You know, I don't understand how the police officer just reached in, turned off the car where it was still running and everything and he pulled the key out but yet he rolled the window up with a handkerchief and everything i just feel that crime scene evidence was absolutely destroyed with it so you know my opinion still hasn't really much changed about this case same for me i mean We've seen new articles. We have seen where a police officer has said he knew who killed them but would not put them in jail because of their last name. And we have visited that man. We have been to his mausoleum plot. And all we had to say is he failed nailing. We've even visited Dr. Rand. And let me tell you, me and Courtney, we have put ourselves in a few sketchy situations in our friendship in the last five years. That was probably the sketchiest thing we have ever done. We were the only ones in the mausoleum at sunset, and that is a creepy place. We could not find a light switch. It has the old wood paneling that I call church paneling because I feel like every church has it at one point in time. You know what I'm talking about? Yes. So, it just, it was just creepy. We basically found it, looked for a second, and we pieced out as quickly as we could because it was sketchy in there. They had doors open to places I don't think they were supposed to be open. We honestly don't know if there was someone else in there or not. Oh, um, I would also advise this. Don't go into sunset after dawn. Absolutely not. Um... We actually went Memorial Weekend to where we knew that the mausoleum was going to be open. Um, they have it now. Um, it's locked up. Um, you do have to ask for a key um, in order to get into the mausoleum uh, where they are located at. And it is something I would not advise going to by yourself. If you go with someone, definitely go with a friend, go with a family member, just go with somebody um, to keep yourself safe. That's one of the biggest things. I mean, even visiting Nellie and Ray's grave, we have been sketched out from time to time. I've honestly talked to, I don't know if I've told you this or not, I've talked to people about somehow getting Sunset to lock up at dusk, like every other graveyard. Like, it just... It truly, honestly bothers me that it is not, and that people will sleep in there, do drugs in there. My family was in there not too long ago, and the cops and ambulance was in there because someone was passed out OD'd. So, it, it's just something that bothers me, because that is just... It's supposed to be a place of rest, not someone's sleeping grounds. Yeah. 
also to our listeners who hear something going on in the background, our new little mascot, his name is Nash. He is here recording with us. <laughs> and <laughs> right now he is chewing on my arm. Um, so if you hear him. Throughout this entire episode. It's, it's Nashy. It's, it's Nash. And. Yep, it's Nash. (laughs) So, I can say how this podcast started. Courtney and I were on our way home from D.C. And it was having to be a very quick trip from D.C. We were extremely tired. Yes. We went to a Lady Gaga concert the night before. We got back to our hotel at 2 a.m. We were up by what? 7, 637. We were up at like 630 that morning and we were out of our hotel room at 8 o'clock that morning. Yeah, because I had to go into work that night, which was not planned. I got called in. Yay. So we were just making conversation because if you guys knew what me and Courtney talked about on the way in the car, anywhere you would be scared you would honestly be terrified and in all honesty really before we got serious about this i will have a story for every situation out there and we literally jokingly started with me doing a podcast about some of the stories that i have experienced just stuff like that everything and then on the way back we really got serious about doing a podcast and i told her i'm like i'm addicted to true crime i had no idea courtney loved true crime this has never been anything that we have really talked about in our friendship like all this time never really talked about it and i'm like if we would do a podcast it should be true crime even though I know that like genre on any podcast thing is very oversaturated, but I've always been craving a West Virginia true crime podcast. And at the time there really wasn't any doing just West Virginia true crime. So I'm like the first episode we should do happened in Beckley. I'm like, I heard about it doing a Beckley haunted event with Scott Worley back chilly night years ago like I was in high school I think I was going to say we haven't even met no so it was like 10 plus years ago he was talking about this case and ever since then I have been obsessed with it I would google this case to see if anything has ever been found out about it and Sadly, nothing has and still hasn't, but I kind of just told Courtney about it, and we both started to go down the biggest rabbit hole we have ever been down for any case. Literally, when we say, like, when we first heard about this case and couldn't find any type of information about it, um, we actually went down to, like, Glade Creek. And little did we know, like, everything would eventually, like, line up. Like, when we got all the information and stuff of that nature. 
Um, but we started at Glade Creek, and then that night we <laughs> went to McDonald's. It was so late that night. I think it was just me and you and maybe another person in there, something like that. And we were literally over there just researching as much as we can. And then that night, what was it? My God, one, two o'clock in the morning. And we were still sending stuff to each other that we would try to find about this case. Any little thing that we could find we would just start researching it and everything. And then, um, luckily, Mark was able to um, meet up with a person who had information about Penman. And he got all the information about Penman. Um, got a map of it. Yeah. All kinds of stuff. Um, we actually learned Penman Road actually started where uh, Southern Regional Jail is today. So it was actually on the other ridge yeah. of where we were in Glade Creek, yeah. which is kind of funny if you think about it. Um, so we had gotten that information, and then we spent hours at the library going through old newspaper articles. And when we say hours, they came over and went, <laughs> don't know if you heard, but we just announced we're closing. We're like... Oh, we heard. Just give us five more minutes. <laughs> yeah. I mean, we done so much research on this right here. And the first case, everything, you know, it was, we definitely knew that there was two murderers involved. Oh, 1,000%. Um, in this and everything. But the way that a lot of people were saying that she was shot, that they were sitting beside of each other. There's no way possible that they could have been sitting right next to each other for the shot that um, took Nellie's life. There's no way in the world that they could have been sitting with each other right next to each other because the original, the way that the shot was actually done, it came out of her cheek. The one bullet did, and there's no way in the world that it could have happened. Yeah, it definitely could have happened on the same side because Ray, he would have had to go first. If it was one person, Nellie could have got out of the car and ran, which I fully believe she did get out of the car, but after she was shot, and I think they did something else to her. I'm not sure what that is because the autopsy just shows bullet holes on her I want to say it's just one bullet hole but we've also heard she was shot twice not sure if that's true or not but we have heard that she was alive and someone else saw her a police officer a police officer went and took care of her again so it's it's a very touchy situation on what we could talk about in a way the night we met Agnes was actually the premiere for the Kindred Spirits episode at Black Knight which is ironically more about the doctor which we've tried to do research on but there really isn't much out there um but afterwards we met Agnes and she was telling us all about this book and she actually showed it to us she didn't open it but she showed it to us 
I'm like, let me peek in. And she went, you have to wait. Agnes is literally the sweetest person ever. And it was literally, what, like two weeks later or something? It wasn't long afterwards or something. Uh, a, few weeks uh, a few weeks to a few months after. Um, we wanted to have Agnes on for this episode to interview her because, I mean, she, her mother was a seamstress in Uptown Beckley. So, I mean, she heard all the hot gossip about this case growing up. But with COVID, the flu, and everything, and everyone just getting sick, we just didn't want to risk her getting sick. Absolutely not. She's Even if we sweet. aren't sick, she is definitely too sweet to get sick. Yeah. But that night we found out that Kindred Spirits was actually filming there the night of November 4th the anniversary of the 75th year anniversary and if you want to know why i'm laughing we literally said in the middle the room was silent we went because we were in the ballroom we went huh what if we just saw my my car zoom by because we we were at the murder site the night this happened just so you know pay respect see if we feel anything which i mean we didn't feel cracked but um we were cracking up and i think people were looking at us but you know it's fine i mean <laughs> we're a fun time we we had a few vodka cranberries in us it's all good i don't think like even though mark told this like i don't think y'all really like grasp how many times like we have drove through that parking lot i mean we have just zoomed by through there Everything we have said at the alleged site of the murder, everything, and really, you know, really didn't get the emotions that we got at the grave site or anything. The only thing I can say was um, when we went over to the federal prison, as far as we could go over, we actually went over a, a little bit. Um, I started to get teary and I told Mark, I said, I really feel this is the area that they were dumped in. And even as driving through there and stuff, we have gotten whiffs of floral scents in the middle of winter. Um, of like a magnolia scent that couldn't be explained. So, those are just like a few of the things that we have experienced with this case. Um, we have been back to the cemetery multiple times. Um, her one sister is buried um, right behind her. It's Oh, whatever. She had like three brothers and one sister, I believe. Well, anyway... Her one sister um, is buried right behind her. Her one daughter is buried and, with her. And with her. Yeah, she's buried right next to her. Um, those are some of the things. Um, really, the last time we went, not a whole lot of strong floral scents like what we got the first time that we went. Was the last time we went was when we were with our friends? Yeah. Cassidy and Chaz, yeah. Yeah. Our friends, Cassidy and Chaz, we met them during a Haunted Beckley event. And 
they listened to Mountain State Mysteries and they got obsessed with this case just like us. Like they were literally sending us articles and we're like, we know we look at it. We love y'all, <laughs> but we know this case front and back. Yeah. Cassie was like, hey, do you guys care to take us on like the route? We're like, hop in the car. So we took them to Ray's grave. Then we went to Nellie's, showed them where everyone was lined up in like a triangle. Then we took them on the route, which funny enough, we had to stop in the middle of the road on industrial drive because there was a bear in the road. Yes. <laughs> it took us forever just because of the bear. And um, I think it just started to rain that night. I don't think there was really anything. But um, a few months ago, we did another event with Haunted Beckley with Scott Worley at the Women's Club. And he handed us dowsing rods, I think is what they're called. And he's like, Nellie is said to be here from time to time, just like Black Knight. So Courtney, you know, held the rods and all this. And, you know, we were talking no idea if it was Nellie or not, but those rods were moving, and Courtney swears she was not moving them, because I've seen some people move them. Is there anything else you want to add? Still to this day, if you have any information regarding this case, do not hesitate to call Crime Stoppers. Um, get this information out there. Um, you can email us at mountainstatemysteries304 at gmail. You can message us on Facebook. You can direct message us on Instagram, TikTok, wherever we got it. You can send us a message on this case because we know people in Beckley know more about this case and they want to lead on. And she does, Miss Nellie does still have a daughter who's alive. Oh yeah, we met her great nephew at Agnes's book thing. I forgot to add yeah. that. Um, it would just be nice if she knew some justice was done for her mama. I mean, her great nephew helped Agnes with the book, so her family is still, you know, hurt by this case, and they just they want answers just like everyone else, and we know that it would ruin the reputation of someone for someone's family in town but if you come to us we won't say anything we just want to give the closure to the family the justice they deserve i mean Absolutely. it's been after all and these it would years. be both families too you know i mean i mean after all these years no one's gonna go to jail i mean you know you never know but I don't care how old you are. If you're still out there and you committed a crime, you deserve it. Um, I would also like to say, too, um, because where we could go on for hours. Literally, we have been recording for an hour and 38 minutes. I have no idea what will make it into this episode. From this, I might chop a few things up. My editing's gone better, better since the first episode so it won't be as choppy god only knows what will be added into this um if there's any way that you would ever like to know more about this case um you can reach out to me and mark on we'll our take social you on media. a tour yeah we'll meet you and take you up around and show you some places and things of that nature or you can even go and purchase miss agnes book called cover up the unsolved country club murders 
It is such a very, very well-written book. It's 131 pages on this crime. So, I mean, you can read it in one day. It's such a wonderful book. One day I read it in like an hour. (laughs) But I've read it multiple times. So I've read it in like a day, but over like 12 times. But I mean, when I tell you, I'm flipping through this right now, it has report of the investigation. Sorry, I just got sidetracked by this book. But I mean, uh, I, mean <laughs> I forgot that it has Nellie's uh, report investigation on here. So, I mean, it literally has, you know, y'all, you just have to get this book. I'm not going to ruin it. You just have to get this book. Absolutely not. And one of the biggest things that we can say to you for our past year is thank you. Yes, thank you so much for listening. Again, we wouldn't be here without you guys. We know you probably haven't made it this long in this episode, but we are so thankful for you guys. And without you, we honestly just would not be here. In all honesty, if you told us a year ago that we would have listeners in New Zealand, we would never have believed you. No, never. Ever in a billion years. I mean, our little podcast in a little tiny, tiny town in southern West Virginia has listeners worldwide. I joked with Courtney. I'm like, one day we're going to hit Australia a few years down the line. (laughs) Yeah, it was a few months down the line. We honestly do. But to all of our listeners, thank you so much. Honestly, just thank you. You've taken a little dream for us and you've made it reality. If you're enjoying Mountain State Mysteries, don't forget to give us a five-star review wherever you listen to podcasts. It helps others find good West Virginia true crime podcasts. Don't forget to follow us on Instagram, Facebook, and TikTok. And don't forget to check out our website, mountainstatemysteriespodcast.com.